This is Sage Talking. If your brain is ready to soak up some natural, informative, and no BS knowledge, then you're in the right place. Join me in talks about nature, people, health, sustainable businesses, and everything in between. You won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either. P.S. I want to know what you want to know. So send in questions or topic requests on my IG at thrive underscore by nature. Hey, and thank you for being here. Hello everyone, my name is Siddhant. I belong to the state of Odisha in India and as of recently I'm a student and obviously as a student you get to learn all sorts of topics but the things I end up spending most of my time in lie along the lines of enforcement as in enforcement by the SEC or other legal aspects or government aspects on let's say big tech or big oil or any of those industries really and a lot of it lies along the lines of taxation policies offshore tax havens and things like that so mostly investigative stuff but then i also study the rise of certain businesses like let's say certain tech companies the electric vehicles industry now web3 along the environmental lines i study mostly ecocide as an attack on indigenous communities there is a certain class of privileged people and this is sort of my argument that that privileged class is exists irrespective of color and geography like every country has a privileged class right and many of these people you must have seen that bbc interview Yeah, I saw that. Uh, yeah, the one that was being compared with Don't Look Up. References to Don't Look Up, yes. Yeah. And so the, the line there was most of the people would not like to have their day-to-day privileges hampered, wasn't it? Yeah, that's very true. And I think um, that is also as well, There, there's always, it's like a two-bladed sword. There, There is this, um, as you said, we often look to... you know billionaires and huge corporations which are you know because they have made it so that you know let's say quote unquote regular people are reliant on them often in certain areas uh, for their livelihoods to work for them to to make money to support themselves and their families but on the other hand there are other people who have other choices and who could change things in their everyday lives um but the regular people there are also many people who don't want any changes to their lives and you're very right in saying that there are people who don't want any changes to their privileges they don't want to engage in any of that and and often people are almost annoyed by the topic of the climate crisis by talking about infrastructure and restructuring things there by talking about reducing waste reducing emissions and some people they just don't care and other people's they they don't they they live very as as i do live privileged lives but them on the other hand don't see it as privileged they see they are living a quote-unquote regular life and they deserve everything that they have this you know the the heating um the two cars the the vacations they go on maybe two to three times a year um the clothes they buy continually um and this turnover 
a like of, of of material things and that is you know what many people consider a regular lifestyle and they don't want any cuts or changes to that and and that's as i said it's irrespective of race color geography anything like the lifestyle that you described it is sort of like the average lifestyle in my classroom yeah. and to be honest there are many people in my circle myself included that could go out and do it you know because frankly you have the resources i consider myself very privileged like comparing with the people in my country so i consider myself very privileged and frankly i could go out and have those experiences as well it's more of a choice not to and like we were talking about that many people say that okay if you were to stop fossil fuels and this is this is sort of this hypothetical and uh, pretty much logical argument which they give is if you were to stop fossil fuel expansion then how do you sort of like explain all of the prosperity that we have till now but the thing is no one in the climate community is attacking the fossil fuel expansions of the 1940s or the 1980s Yeah. we're attacking that in the 2020s you have had all the progress that you need to live this sort of really i mean life today is much better than 100 years back and it's more so for people of color women the disabled people all of them and we have come through so much development in part because of fossil fuels and the energy reliance that we've had on them but the point is we now have a fairly stable society and then when you know things like the assault on ukraine happen we do we should like everyone should start questioning themselves okay why is a country able to do something which almost every one of us i mean not us but our ancestors consensually labeled as a bad like as a deplorable thing like 50 60 years from now like with the establishment of the un with all sorts of peace agreements and negotiations like war continued well after world war 2 there was the us war on vietnam korea was having some wars there were indo china wars india pakistan wars many wars frankly but the rate at which russia has attacked ukraine and russia's incredible reliance on fossil fuel projects like chevron and exxon operate in russia the american political media criticizes both the left and the right they criticize the idea of communism russia is clearly a sort of i wouldn't say exactly communist country but it's a very much autocratic country and we have chevron and exxon and their offices located right inside of russia and they are then digging out this fuel that is causing all sorts of harm to the biosphere the biodiversity to the topsoil layers and everything just to the fragility of the network that we call life in general yeah and i think um what you said before that uh, now considering more than 100 years ago that we have a more more stable societies that people have better lives i think um that is something like i think the thing now 
what you kind of touched on is as well that all of these issues like um, the climate crisis, um, you know, um, racism, uh, oppression, th these things all exist. But I think now all of these topics, um, they are now, you know, being recognized. They're in the newspapers. People are being educated about them. They're being talked and tackled in many ways. You know, we often think because we have all this technology and digitalization and um, that infrastructure that we are somehow, you know, happier or better off than all people before us. I mean, there are certain things like, um, you know, in medicine um, or other things where we have come very far and where I would say, okay, I would not want to go back to how it was 60 years ago but I think there are some things that we could maybe try and um, you know realize which is like that living on maybe a plot of land on a farmhouse with several generations growing your own food you know walking biking places because not everybody takes the car all the time you know, that that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, we've come so far with all of these innovations. But on the other hand, there is this, you know, simpler life that can be much more healthy, much more joyful, much less stressful. And I think if we try to combine some of these, you know, old ways, like zero waste, inherently zero waste grocery stores, because back then not everything was wrapped in plastic, or, you know, that we say, okay, we start going places uh, more by by bike or using you know kinetic energy because we can and we're humans we're made to move and we don't have to go to the bakery which is two minutes away by car just because we can do so you know using what we have recycling building stronger communities you know trading uh, your your vegetables for some fruit from your neighbor these are all things that are very you know beautiful and and I think this is sometimes seen as something uh, that is you know oh that person doesn't have much money Money. that's why they're growing their own food that's why they're shop shopping secondhand and it's like but you don't have to do all these things if you have a lot of money and it's seen as something um you know that is not really desirable and i think if we could mix these two things this innovation um these innovations and the technology and all of these means we have now with some more of that simpler back to earth connecting to earth life then we could have you know kind of the best of both worlds in a way to be really honest one of the many ways or in fact i think it would be the most efficient way of sort of beginning this transition now this transition is like many people would perceive it in many ways obviously you know like there there's always a faction of people that sees everything negatively and then there are people that are more open. But like what I feel would be one of the most efficient ways is to ingrain this ideology of being present in nature in like school systems in places. Like if people, and this, this comes from an interview uh, about, this comes from a ritual interview. He's a vegan ultra marathoner. Okay. So he was a, He's a two-time Stanford graduate, if I'm not wrong. And he got into the practice of law. And by the time he was 30, he had a 13-year-old alcohol problem. So alcoholism issue, severe addiction issue, which led him to a point of mental and health breakdown, after which he then had to 
like and what he did is what we would call like radical conversion right so he was there in the, some of the biggest high rise offices in the us coming from one of the most prestigious law universities doing this big trades until his body eventually broke down and he said no i have to adopt a much simpler life and so he started like he left his job he then went on this sort of internal discovery he went to rehab i think multiple times and firstly that's a brave thing to do like going to rehab accepting yeah. that you need to go to rehab and he went to rehab then it was there that he had cleared most of the junk in his mind and then he started his physical transformation and as of today he is one of the most well known marathoners and triathloners and podcast interviewers and what not and so he did this incredibly amazing episode with Johan Harry Johan Harry is what people would call an ex- expert on the themes of anxiety and depression and in in that amazing talk Johan Harry was talking about this idea that back actually rich roll mentioned it that back when he was a kid rich roll is from 55 years now so he was saying that back when he was a kid their parents would just let them wander off to school on their own and then they would come by come back take their bikes go out with their friends roam in the forest and he he lived in long island new york i suppose so maybe the forest thing was real but whatever i go out into neighborhoods talk with people get you know have interactions that are socially enriching because that is something all of us are lacking today yeah. the inherent negativity in the society comes out because of a lack of positivity like sh- social media is really not a place for having positive interactions it may be a place for getting positive information as it has been for you and me and it can be for many other people and hence the reason social media exists but social media does not exactly give out positive vibes to you and yeah. the reason is like you may be having a bad day like let's let's say you're having a really bad day okay and then there's this video of a cute child playing with a dog and there's an inherent difference with the amount of time your brain registers the video of the child playing with that dog versus the experience of you sitting in front of a child playing with that dog because that interaction is entirely different yeah that's a, mm-hmm. a very good example and i think you're very right um social media i don't think i would be as aware and knowing all these things that i do without social media because social media for me as well was like this wake up call to the climate crisis i started following activists and environmental organizations and people were sharing so many things and then you know i found um different sources that i really liked for reliable news on the climate crisis like especially the guardian but also uh earthrise studio or vice world news and you know all these things it's so crazy that social media this one place where many people 
where I think all of us waste, you know, a lot of our time once in a while. Um, is this, yeah, is this place that can be so productive and educational and none of this is anything that I learn in school, for example, and I don't think I would be where I am and it would be as educated without this wake-up call I got from social media. So um, I think that's, yeah, a very interesting point that you're making. And of course, yes, I mean, uh, on the one hand, you know, our our brain kind of can connect something positive we see on the screen with something positive, um, you know, just because the brain sometimes can't really tell, you know, what's real, what's not. You, you see something and it gives you a good feeling, but it never, ever compares to this real life scenario. As you said, you know, sitting in front, uh, sitting in a park and seeing a child playing with the dog, Uh, is a completely different experience and a much more enriching experience to your entire body and spirit than social media could ever be. And I think that is something very important to to remember and um, to just remember, you know, that your phone or all our phones are not an extension of us. You know, they're just a piece of, of metal and glass and plastic and they don't, you know, contain our lives and there's a whole world out there why people got along well together is because i mean i'm talking about in the previous era for example or like even today in like smaller communities that are sort of you know cut off from uh, this corporate jargon that's being put up everywhere the reason that they are more in coherence and in mutual respect is because they have to answer 10 question questionnaires. Their questions are like, how do we procure food? How do we get our vehicle serviced? Who provides security to the community? And I'm, I'm not asking tribal questions, you know, like even if we include like the basic, okay, who is our local banker? Who is our local grocery store owner? How is his daughter? And all of these things, it's a comparatively small set of questions. With social media, your mind just goes boom. The number of posts that people stream through every day is just increasing. I mean, it has rapidly intensified post-COVID. And so people are getting information of all kind. They are using their own life experiences to make, like to create the responses to it. And when so many people with different life experiences are exposed to you know, this bunch of different social circumstances, socioeconomic, racial, you know, ecological circumstances. We just have a mess, you know, a messy ball of opinions. Yeah. And that's what social media has given us. Now, I'm not saying it's a bad thing because ultimately that is, you know, um, how do I say it? That is the right to expression. It's also important um, to think about, you know, who is who is setting the rules and what are their uh, agendas in some way. Um, and yeah, I think definitely one thing on social media is I think many people treat it as like a public service or, you know, reliable news outlets. But I think we also have to uh, just, 
you know, remind ourselves that these apps that we are choosing to download, because none of us is forced, you know, to to create a Twitter account or to download Instagram or to jo join any social network that we don't want to. So I think sometimes people have to be aware that if you don't like what is going on on, on the platform, on the other hand, I think the spread of misinformation about, you know, very serious issues can be so harmful. But on the other hand, you know, you're not forced to be there. You're not forced to stick around or participate on social media on any platform you don't agree with. Um, so I think, you know, if it was any other app that maybe didn't have so many users, you would just, you know, maybe roll your eyes and say, okay, uh, I don't agree with this and delete the app. But I think there are some apps that have ingrained themselves in our lives. Yeah, I want to ask because we you were talking about life experiences and how they shape you know, what we what we think of certain news on social media. So you and me, we have very different life experiences. For everybody, where where are you right now? Where did you grow up? So I'm in Bhubaneswar. It's the capital of Odisha, which obviously is a state in India. And my childhood has been in an industrial town called Jajpur that's 100 kilometers away. And my dad still works there. He comes home on weekends, but he works there in a steel plant. And so, and, and this is the thing, right? Uh, one of the core reasons why I have been attracted towards the climate crisis, as I said, like I, in ninth grade, I started thinking about, uh, I started delving into these categories of, you know, sustainability or e-waste management or things like that. But even before that, in seventh grade, when I moved to this larger, bigger city, it's it's almost a metropolitan city, to be honest. It's not classified as one, but it's equally big and exquisite in many ways. Uh, so when I moved here, one of the first things was obviously that I had to stay away from my father. And it caused me, like, when you move away from your loved ones, you tend to care more about them. You start thinking more about them. And one of the things that always popped up in my mind was that my dad works in a steel plant. When I was growing up, when I was, let's say, six, seven years of age, I had gotten opportunities to visit that plant. So I have visited it multiple times in my life, actually. And I have seen the furnaces spewing out those black ashes, you know. And one thing I know, and everyone knows it because everyone has inhaled some really bad vehicle exhaustion fumes at one point or the other in their life. And so it always caused me to think about, okay, what effect do these, because it's almost continuous, 24 into 7, those black fumes are coming out of the furnaces. And it's a legit industrial town. There's not one factory in there. There's eight or nine or 10 factories in there. And they're all spewing out smoke 24 into 7. So what effect does it have on the health of my father? It started as a really personal question. Yeah. And then when I realized that that same plant, just that plant, had 5,000 people working, and many of whom were not as fortunate because my dad is in, a, is in a managerial position as of today. And I have gotten the opportunities of, you know, much improved higher education and stuff because of that. And there are these people who are working, you know, because 
a lot of the work is done by physical manual labor you know people have to put the metals or the mine products in carts and take those hand carts from spot to spot if needed like if the road is damaged or some day the truck gets stuck somewhere or things like that and so how would these people be able to cope with you know diseases like have you heard of the black lung disease i'm, I'm not even I sure think, i think i think i have yeah like you know covid has sort of obliterated most of my general awareness but i think one of the diseases i was really concerned about back then was the black lung disease and not because i had studied about it but simply because i was a naive child who was seeing black fumes with the realization that that goes into the lungs you know of course if something like that you know comes from personal experience um and you you know obviously you're caring about your father and you're thinking about you know if you actually you know go there you can see as you say the the smoke uh coming out and seeing what kind of an unsafe work environment that is um it's of course radically different to people whose parents maybe have different jobs and who live maybe like i do on the german countryside where for most people uh, the world well, seems your like lifestyle is is my ideal lifestyle so you know <laughs> sometimes i just like everyone does this sometimes we just sit back and think okay if there wasn't all of this mess in the world what kind of life would i want to live you know Yeah. And that is the exact kind of life that I I dream of living. I mean living, but you know, the mess is still there. So yeah. got to address the mess. Yeah. I I know what you mean and I mean of course there could be some people and there are many people who just, you know, uh don't let in this in awareness and to close off their eyes and just continue living their everyday lives, but you know within until you know the end of the century things are going to be radically different in 10 years things are going to be even more radically different because the thing about this is now that this crisis is just you know it's a ball that is going to just continue rolling to to faster farm. and faster yeah and i mean um you know depending on on how the world will react <laughs> to these issues which i hope will be you know in a more productive and and positive way um but yeah it's it's insane to what how long people close off their eyes to these issues you know as long as they still can so you know how you describe a little what you live in a city right now what's it like you know what what does it look like what do you see when you walk through the street what's the air like the noise level can you maybe describe your surroundings a little Well you can just look it up in the internet that the average air quality of an indian city is is pretty ghastly i step out of my home my home is just like a tiny lane away from the main road and the air just it it beats the shit out of my brain you know i go for a 15 minute walk and i have to come back not because i'm exhausted but because i literally start choking and i'm i'm not saying that this is a war zone or something i'm saying that it it makes me feel irritable and stuff you know that that it affects your daily life that it has already started affecting our daily lives i i will admit to this that uh, until a few days back i hadn't considered crop failure by 2030 as being a reality you know 
Yeah. I mean, because crops are in our 10,000 year history. Even being a climate activist, one does find it hard to like have a massive crop failure within next seven, eight years. And even one of the reasons I voluntarily had stopped thinking about it is because like, what am I going to be even able to do? Like, I'll go into university now. University will take up four years, then come out of it. Don't know what's life ahead of that. And so there's this, you know, severe uncertainty. And so like, I had stopped thinking about that particular thing, crop failure by 2030. But a few days back, when I was headed to another place in the city, the heat was literally killing. Like I'm a person that can sit in a 45 degrees room without the fan, let alone the air condition. Like my body is, it sort of loves heat and hates winters. So I'm a very much summer person. But that day, it was like I couldn't even bear two minutes of that glaring sun. And to yeah. think about it, 10 years back, it never was like that. We used to play two hours, two and a half hours, three hours continuously, either on a park, either in a park, on a stadium, because we had stadiums nearby. And we just used to play and socialize and do stuff. In this heat, the only thing a person can be concerned about is getting from point A to point B without getting a heat stroke. It's really that hot. Yeah. And this um, is the thing, you know, most people that are going to be listening to this, like, oh, when I hear that, I think, like, I mean, obviously, you have grown up in a very different country and very different circumstances and a very different climate. But for me, that, what you're describing, <laughs> sounds like my worst nightmare like for me i can't stand the heat i when here when it hits anywhere near there are times now yes even in germany when it gets over 30 degrees and for me that's uh, i hate it i feel like i can't function in that and i can't even imagine what anything close to 40 degrees would be i think i would not i would go sit somewhere in a in a wine cellar that is lined with stones so that it's extra cold <laughs> in there and i would i would absolutely not function and thinking about you know thinking about when i go outside into my garden there there are trees there is grass and it feel and you know there is still some diversity left because we don't mow our lawn we don't do anything to this part of the forest behind our house because we have we have this insane luck to have this little you know in in comparison to other people big piece of land that we can just leave untouched, that we can let, you know, grow naturally. And right the forest behind our house is already completely different because it's a it's a plantation um, of spruces. And, you know, you can see that it's in bad shape. Uh, it kind of looks like skeletons because the, the, <laughs> the needles of the trees that are green are only on the top because they're so close together that no light comes, comes down um, because they're obviously, you know, plantations. They get planted as close as possible and the, so, you know, that they can get as many trees as possible in there. 
Um, and you can already see that our forest is radically different. And I am so grateful that I can step outside my door. And if I like have, if I feel bad one day or, um, you know, whatever it is, I can step outside my door and take a deep breath and it's, it feels, you know, good. And, you know, something as fundamental, as elemental as air that is around you, you know, that has to be, it just has to be clean. It has to be breathable. I mean, that is the very core, our breath. What, what as humans being are you know if we if there's no air there there's nothing left and that to me you know is so uh it, it just makes my my heart ache to listen to that because this is these are human fundamental rights this is like it is it is all of that is accessible on earth if we just handle these things differently literally everybody could have that cities wouldn't have to be so polluted you know if we acted differently as people as governments if there were different rules and policies in place you know plant a few damn trees it's like if, if people just did a few things differently we could have a radically different world and that just makes me so mad that is like the Uh, the unwillingness and really the just you know just closing closing off to those to this reality of a few who who have everything to gain by the destruction of this planet which is you know they're doing is that would make so many people on this world suffer and not have access to clean water to clean air to nature It's just insane to me because, you know, what is one person's right to to take that away from another person? That's something that really makes me absolutely furious. Who is the government? Like, or who are billionaire corporations? They aren't these iron-clad 500-foot buildings. I mean, a 500-foot building covered with black glass isn't a corporation. There are people inside of these corporations. Everyone comes from somewhere exactly a certain story. We label certain corporations as outrightly vicious, and maybe they are. But my question is, what if they are that way because we as a society are that way? Yeah, but that that is a very, very thought-provoking. You know, there are so many people out there that, as you say, we see them as untouchable. We see them, you know, uh, it, it often makes it easier for us to just say the government or that corporation because we can't single out every single person, uh, you know, who runs the corporation. But that is exactly what sometimes I think about as well. You know, maybe it is just sometimes a reflection of society but on the other hand i do think because as you said uh, and as you as you very much um you know painted a very clear picture so many most of these people actually came from you know pretty regular Problems. living situations yeah or even or even living situations that were a lot less privileged than that of many people on the planet and and i think really that having this success being part of this system that you can i think only get to the top uh you know if you it, it display this 
I think you kind of get sucked into it because inherently, I think most of these people, when they were kids, they weren't bad and thinking, oh, when I grow up, I want to be part of a corporation that harms the environment and violates people's rights. I don't think that at all. I think this is something, you know, they grew up, they maybe had business success. They maybe thought in their minds, okay, I don't want to lead this life anymore. When I grow up, I want to have something different. I want to have money. I want to be independent. I want to, you know, quote unquote, what people say, be somebody, which is not the definition of material things in money. But, you know, still our society, you know, often praises people like that for their hard work and for all of that, what they're owning. But for me, it's often like, you know, what it's like, you know, to to not being able to make ends meet. You've seen your parents, you've you've been, you know, a child yourself who lives in this neighborhood that you maybe wanted to get out of. You know, why would you be that person and later to exploit people that way, to exploit nature that way? And I think it's something that people, when they're young and they're ambitious and they're eager and they feel like they have, you know, the world to their feet and they start making money and they become part of this system and they work their way up uh, which probably where they had to elbow other people to get them out of the way because you know there's only you know so many ceo slots there's only so many very powerful people in a company and you have to work your way up there and i think you have to adapt uh, you know certain behaviors you have to do certain things to get there because I don't think that most people who have you know who think oh I want to make this world a better place and I'm okay with this simple life they would never get there because you know how how would you then that's not your place so for me that's often like you know what are these people thinking and do they even associate themselves with with actively doing so much harm on this planet you know do they see it as such do they feel i don't think they ever feel guilty about it but there's so much often blood on these people's hands you know both of nature people and animals yeah of of them all actually one of the things you can see every single day is articles about how this person created a hundred million dollar company we could have written the article with a slightly different headline, which is, how is this person creating a company that services 2 million residents? Like, why don't we talk about service over money? Because everyone knows, like, you're not going to take your money when you die. Like, you're going to need some money when you're living. But it's, it's, it's not a hundred million dollars. Like if that person is a founder of a hundred million dollar company, he is worth $10 million at least. I mean, I'm hoping he is if he is good at his financials, but you don't realistically need $10 million to live. But no. if we could just change, if let's say Forbes or Inc. Magazine or any of them could give out those articles titled, how this person created a company that services 3 million residents. I think that would be, you know, more novel, yeah, you know. Definitely. Uh, or maybe how how this person turned a desert into a food forest or how this person single-handedly cleaned an entire river or how this person created an animal sanctuary that houses over 500 animals, you know, things like that. That's the thing. 
we're always talking about businesses that give out profits. The profits of the fossil fuel industry this year are just ridiculous. I personally like to think that they may be starting to get wary of the public narrative which is shifting against these companies. As you can see, like there is this widespread resentment against Chancellor of UK, Rishi Sunak, and his handling of the energy crisis. So people are actually starting to, you know, sort of get become aware about how they have been deceived by these particular companies. Thank you everybody for listening in today. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, Sidan's Instagram is linked down below. So if you have any questions for him or you want to start a conversation with him, then just feel free to shoot him a message. And also, I just want to remind everybody that this really is a podcast, not just for people who are renowned scientists or politicians or have many followers on Instagram or hold a PhD in environmental science. It's about stories that are inspiring, that are real, that are that are to be shared. And if somebody who is listening has something to say or experiences or thoughts to share um, in the environmental space, anything about nature, anything you want to tell um, or an audience or other people or say something, then please feel free to send me a message on my Instagram at thrive underscore by nature and I would be happy to create an episode with you. So thank you for listening in and I'll see you next week. Bye!